chapter number 27. <clears throat> As Brother Nate did mention this afternoon at 1.30, we do have uh, the beginning of the visitation for the homegoing service for Brother Charles Sanders. I encourage you to be here for that, so I'm not going to tarry very long in the introduction, if possible, and we're going to jump in. That way we can uh, get things reset for the funeral here in just a little while. Be in prayer for the Sanders. What a wonderful truth it is to know where he's at, put his faith and trust in Christ, and we're going to get to see him again one day. Isn't that good uh, to know? I believe it's before too terribly long, by the way. Uh, we're going to get to see them again as the Lord takes his children home, and I look forward to that. What a blessed promise we have in the Word of God. Acts chapter 27. Here's what we're going to do today. <clears throat> There's a lot in Acts chapter number 27. I'd love to preach for about a month on this, but we're not. Don't panic. Don't get scared. I promise you're going to get you out on time today. Uh, but we're going to jump in the middle of the story if possible. Uh, a while back, I was watching a movie with my daughter, uh, and the movie started at the, at the end, uh, and then the entire movie was spent telling how they got to that point. And we're going to do that this morning, if we could, by picking up in verse number 27. So if you would just remain seated, look down, Acts 27, look down to about verse 27. And what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome. Uh, God has preordained him to go and preach the gospel in Rome. And as often is the case, God is using Paul's imprisonment uh, to spread the gospel. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's not the way that I look forward to preaching the gospel, but you never know how God wants you to do that. And oftentimes, he allowed Paul to be arrested to go and to preach the gospel to those who needed to hear it. Now, he's going to get an audience with Caesar, and we're picking up in the middle of this journey as they have run into what the Bible calls a Euroclide, and it's a strong strong nor'easter, if you would, uh, a strong nor'easterly easterly wind that would blow for days and days and weeks on end. And we're going to pick up in verse 27 right in the middle of the storm, and we're going to take the message and show you how they got to this place. Uh, Acts 27, 27, the Bible says, but when the 14th night was come, can you imagine being in a ship for 14 nights in the middle of a storm? Talking about seasick. Bible says, as we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. That's about 120 feet deep. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. So you see what's happening. Uh, they're in the middle of this storm, and they check the depth of the water, and they find it that it's uh, they find it that it's 20 fathoms in verse 28, and they checked it again just a little bit further. They found it was 15 fathoms. They're getting into shallow water. Uh, now I don't know if you have much maritime uh, experience, but you don't want to be in shallow water when you're in a great ship. There's about 276 men on board of this ship. So notice what the Bible says they did in verse 28. When they had gone a little further, they sounded again, found it 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And we're going to stop there. We're going to pray. and We're going to jump right in. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the privilege to be here. Thank you for sparing us in the weather this week that we could be able to come back to your house again and worship. Thank you for the message you've sent there was a lot on my heart today, and Lord, we need to be timely in the message. Help us, Lord, to say what you'd have us to say and nothing more. I pray that you'd speak to hearts through the message, convict in ways only you can. Help us be obedient and responsive during the invitation. And Lord, I just go ahead and trust you and thank you for what you're going to do today, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a lot in here that we need to unravel today, but basically we can see in chapter 27, they're in the midst of this storm, and they have been there for 14 days. 
I want you to try to get a picture in your mind what it was like to be on board of a ship for 14 days for two weeks. Uh, we were in a car for six days this week on this family road trip, and six days in a car can take a toll on you, uh, going up and down the roads, up and down the curves. We even took some of the scenic routes in Kentucky, and after a while, those scenic routes got old, and my wife began to get just a little bit car sick because I don't like going slow. I'm an impatient person. And uh, you're going up and down those mountain roads, you're going like this, my wife says, you've got to slow down. And so because I love my wife, I was willing to go 35 miles an hour uh, over about a 30-mile stretch there as we went through the scenic route. And that was only about, uh, about two hours. I can't imagine being in a ship for 14 days in the midst of a storm. And the Bible said, if you look down at verse number 20, uh, 27, 28, they were driven up and down the coast of, of Adria for 14 days. And now the situation is getting very crucial and very critical. We notice in verse number 28, they found it 20 fathoms. They found it uh, 15 fathoms. It's getting very critical, and they realized they cannot go on the way they're going, all right? Went from 20 fathoms to 15 fathoms. Obviously, they're getting into more shallow water. The Bible says in verse number 29, fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast out four anchors, all right? You know, ships don't have an emergency break. Uh, it's nice when your car has an emergency brake. I used to have a PT cruiser, you know, a little pregnant roller skate, they called it. And I used to love getting out there and pulling that emergency brake. That's, that's really what they called my car. They did. Uh, a hearse for midgets or, or little people, I think it's a political correct term, uh, or a pregnant roller skate. That's what they called my PT cruiser. I remember Hurricane Katrina. Remember that? The yard was, my wife's looking at me with a, uh, with a, uh, with a furled brow right now uh, because she was riding with me. Katrina had put all of this water out there in our yard, and I would get going really fast, pull the emergency drink. It was just a blast, you know. But ships, listen, I don't know if you know this, ships don't have an emergency brake. They found it 20 fathoms, 15 fathoms, and all of a sudden say, hey, wait a minute, we're getting into some shallow water here. Uh, we need to pull the emergency brake here. Let's just pause. They don't have emergency brakes on ships. At least you're going to learn something today in the message. Remember that one. So here's what they did. The Bible says in verse 29, they cast four anchors out of the stern. They decided, you know what, in order to stop this thing, we're going in the wrong direction. We're going to throw out four anchors, not one, not two, not three. They threw out four anchors to try to stop the ship from going in the wrong direction that they were going in. Now, here's the good news. The good news was that was the right conclusion. When you're going in the wrong direction, it's good to stop, all right? Listen, men, it's all right. Look, it's all right to admit when you're going the wrong way and take Siri or your wife's advice, they're usually about the same, and stop, all right? Swallow your pride and stop and turn around, all right? This is what they're doing here. But here's the problem. They came to this conclusion a little bit too late. They've waited until the storm has raged for 14 days before they decided that they're going to drop anchor. Now, how often is that the case for us? How often do we go in the wrong direction, the wrong direction, the wrong direction, and finally, 14 days into the storm, we decide, you know what, maybe I need to throw out an anchor. Maybe I need to stop going the direction I'm going on. But watch this. Look at verse 22. Paul tells them this, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. Watch this. But of the ship, they made the right decision, but they made it too late. They're going to lose the ship. Paul says, God's already let me know we're not going to survive this. Now, folks, listen, the tragedy is not just losing the ship. Oftentimes, we look at what it cost us going the wrong way as being the tragedy. No, the greater tragedy is it didn't have to be a tragedy. That's the greatest tragedy. 
Oftentimes we look at someone who ruins and wrecks their life and we're thinking, man, what a tragedy that was that they wrecked their life. No, the tragedy is what they could have done, not what they did. The tragedy is who they could have been. The tragedy is what they could have done for God rather than wasting the life that they had here. Now, notice they came to this conclusion a little bit too late. So how do you know that? Well, look up to verse 8. Before they ever got into this storm, notice they found a place and hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. There was a harbor. There was a safe harbor that they could have dropped anchor in that harbor and been safe. But notice this catastrophic scene that's unfolding here is because they refused to drop anchor. They say, you know what? We're not going to anchor here. We're going to keep going the direction that we want to go. Now, how does this apply to us today? I've got to hurry. I see the same scene unfolding today in the life of both lost and saved people. We're living in a world of unrelenting storms, aren't we? I mean, the past, look, they had 14 days. The past 14 months, we have lived through one storm after another. Unrelenting storms of difficulty and adversity. And here's the sad thing. I'm watching families be blown apart. I'm watching people get out of church. I'm watching people's faith get shaken. I'm watching people get beaten and battered and blown around by all the winds of doctrine and the winds of adversity that we're facing today. And here's the truth. The truth is it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be bruised and battered and beaten and broken by the storms of adversity that are coming our way. Why? Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, the Bible says we have strong consolation. I want you to know something. If I've needed something the last 14 months, it's strong consolation. But where does that consolation come from? You read Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. It says, because we have a hope, that hope that is in Christ is an anchor for our soul. Aren't you glad that we as the people of God have an anchor? Look, we couldn't have made it through the last 14 months without having an anchor that holds us still when the winds of adversity blow. But here's the sad thing. Oftentimes, we don't rely on our anchor like we should. You know, the captain of this boat, he had four anchors on board, but it took him 14 days of going the wrong direction and getting bruised and battered before he decided to check up and to drop anchor. And oh, as I read chapter 27, I saw myself. How often do I go the wrong way for a long time and I wait till the storm comes before I drop anchor? Now, folks, this morning, I believe if there's anything we need right now, both lost and saved, it's a good anchor because the winds are blowing, and I don't think they're going to let up. So this morning, I want you to get a snapshot of this ship. It's bruised, it's battered, it's beaten, and it's broken. And I want to follow how they got here. This morning, we're going to look at the dangers of an unanchored life. All right? We're going to see the dangers of an unanchored life. And I fear so many of us, listen, the reason that we're having so much trouble today because of the adversity and the wind that's blowing is because we don't have the anchor. And we're not anchored in holding on to that anchor and using that anchor that God's given us, which is Christ. Now, I'm going to show you how they got to this place of an unanchored life. Now, look down, if you will, to verse 10 and verse number 11. The Apostle Paul comes to them. They're in this place, this harbor called Fair Havens. The Apostle Paul comes to them in verse number 10 and says, And said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt. Paul says, Look, if we pull out of the Fair Havens, if we pick up our anchor and pull out there into the open sea, I fear it's going to be with hurt and much damage. 
not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Watch verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now, I want you to notice where this unanchored life begins. Notice the Bible says Paul gives them good counsel, but the Bible says in verse 11, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Number one this morning, I want to show you the first step in an unanchored life is ignorance of truth. Ignorance of truth. Now watch this. The apostle Paul comes to the captain of the ship and he says, look, this is going to be a damaging journey we're about to go on. So how do you know that? Well, I'll show you. When you look up at verse 1, 2, and 3, I think it's verse 1, 2, and 3, somewhere in here, the Bible says it was already past the time of Passover. They were already past the summertime and they were heading into the wintertime, which is the dangerous time of season to be sailing. Now, this captain knew that was truth. Why? He'd been sailing long enough. He knew that getting out there in the open water between September, October, those times, that strong wind, that Eurocline is going to be blowing. And so the Apostle Paul is giving him truth. But he gets to this place where the ship is now being beaten and battered, and it all goes back to his ignorance of the truth. I've told you before, the root word of ignorance is the word ignore. Oftentimes, we think that ignorance is when you don't know something. No, they knew the truth. Why? What did Paul say? Paul says, I perceive that this voyage will be with great hurt. It's not that they got shipwrecked because they didn't know the truth. They got shipwrecked because they didn't need the truth. And folks, there's our problem today. The reason our marriages are getting shipwrecked, our teenagers are getting shipwrecked, our church is getting shipwrecked, our country is getting shipwrecked, it's not because we don't know the truth. Why? Because the Lord, in his goodness and mercy, has preserved truth for us. The truth has been here every day of your life. God has given us the truth through the printed word. And watch this. He even gives it to us through the preached word. God allows us through the foolishness of preaching to hear the truth of the word of God, to know how we can get to heaven and how we should live until we get there. Aren't you glad? Look, there's no reason that our homes should end up in divorce. There's no reason our young people should be on drugs and alcohol. There's no reason that our lives should be end up in shipwreck. But the reason they go that route is because we ignore the truth. We know it. We know it. Now, folks, notice this. Paul says, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt. How many times have we heard a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a mom, a dad, or a grandma or grandpa, and they give us good counsel, don't go there. You don't need to go in that direction. And yet we end up getting ourselves hurt. I have hurt myself so many times, not because I didn't know what to do, it's because I didn't want to do what I knew. How many times as a kid did my dad tell me, don't do that, you're going to get burned. How many times do we think we can stick our hand in the mousetrap and get the cheese out? It's teenage, I hope teenage boys don't do that. But man, we were teenage boys. We used to have mousetraps, and we'd see who could slap it and get their hand out. I don't know if any of us ever got it. And no matter how much the other guy got hurt, we kept trying it. Why? We were ignoring the truth. The truth is the rat trap was smarter than we were. It was faster than we were. But the reason we got hurt is because we simply ignored the truth. Now, folks, this is why we're getting shipwrecked today. God sends us truth. He's pre By the way, when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. God, I just didn't know. He says, look, I inspired and preserved my perfect, inerrant word just for you. 
Look, there's always been truth. Matter of fact, many of us have probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten copies of it in our house. And so ignorance is not bliss. No, ignorance is going to lead to shipwreck. I don't know how many times I'll, I'll preach to young people, teenagers. And I think teenagers think that I was born in my 30s. I really do. By the way, that's why I shaved my beard off. Some of the teenagers said I look mean. I don't want to look mean. I look like a nice guy. I really do. I am a nice guy. I think so. How many times I'll preach to teenagers or youth, and they look at you like, well, you don't know what it's like to be a teenager. I don't know if they know how that works, but I was a teenager at one time. And they're thinking, man, you're just being mean to us. Man, you're just trying to make life hard on us. Yes, that's why I live my life. I love getting up in the morning and making life miserable for people, making life hard. I love not being liked. No, I love being liked. I hate it when people don't like me. It hurts my feelings when somebody says they don't like me. But can I tell you what happens sometimes? Sometimes I've realized that there are people that have gone ahead of me who know more about things than I know, and I might better listen to them. And I'll preach to teenagers sometime. They'll look up at me like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll say, you know what? I perceive that this voyage will be with her. And they're thinking, nah, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. You know what you're doing? You're ignoring truth. There's a big difference this morning in believing in and believing on. What's the difference? One is acknowledgement. The other is acceptance. Believing in something is acknowledging it, all right? Believing in the Word of God is acknowledging, okay, this is a Bible. But believing on it is when you finally accept it as truth. You know what? Can I tell you something? Especially our teenagers listening to me this morning. I don't like everything that's in there either. But I can't just acknowledge it. I've got to accept it. Why? Because it's the truth that makes us free. I want us to be free to live a life pleasing unto God, free to build a home that honors and glorifies God. But the only way you're going to have that freedom is to accept the truth, not to ignore the truth. I read a great story the other day about the, some of the first explorers that came from England to, to really explore Australia. And they came back and they told them about a mammal that laid eggs. This mammal was amphibious, had a flat tail, webbed feet, and a duck bill. And they came back and they're telling people in England, there's this animal... He's got web feet, flat tail, duck bill. He lays eggs. They're like, you guys are out of your mind. They found something down there in Australia to smoke, and they come back, and now they're just out of their mind. There's this duck-billed animal with fur. He lives on land. He lays eggs and has web feet. No way. Even though they brought them truth, they said that's too far-fetched to believe, and yet the platypus was a real thing. It's like the jackalope. I didn't know that was a real thing either, but it turned out, yeah, it's real. Some of you didn't get that. It's, it's not real, Okay. So you're like, I didn't know a jackalope. It's a rabbit with horns. Actually, I was a teenager before I realized jackalopes weren't real because every pawn shop I ever went in had one. Folks, they rejected it. They were given the truth that, hey, this is what we saw. This is what's real. But they rejected it. How often do we do that? We're given the truth of the word of God and we choose to ignore it. Do you know what's going to happen? Verse 22, you're going to have a loss of the ship. Hosea 4, 6. I read this to our men the other day at our... Um, at our men's fellowship. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Pause. What is it a lack of knowledge of? A lack of knowledge of the truth. All right? It's not that they're being destroyed because they don't know anything, all right? It's because they have a lack of knowledge of the truth. Look, our, our society is full of knowledge. We put people on the moon. I mean, that's just amazing to me. You ever look at the moon? My wife don't believe it went there, but, you know, you sit up there looking at the moon. You think if people walked up there, 
walked around the moon. I mean, we have a lot of knowledge. Look, it's not just any knowledge that we're lacking. It's the knowledge of the truth. Do you know why we're losing our homes? It's not because we're not smart. Listen, we have technology where you can Google anything. Somebody says that we are um, we're drowning in knowledge, but we're starving for wisdom. That's the truth. We have all of this knowledge, but it's not just any knowledge. It says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's a lack of knowledge of the truth. Now listen closely. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. You know what that is? They're ignoring it. I've given you the truth. How many times do the children of Israel have prophet after prophet after prophet come and preach and preach and preach repentance toward God? And what did they do? They ignored them. They ignored them. Why? Because the truth is not always convenient. I'll tell you this morning that if you're going to survive a storm, you must go beyond acknowledging truth. You better start accepting it. The captain says, okay, Paul, that's neat. You say I'm going in the wrong direction, but you know what? I'm going to listen to what everybody else has to say. John Payton, great missionary to New Hebrides Islands, was, was, re, uh, was writing the Bible in the language of the natives that were there. He got almost done, and he could not find a word for believe. He couldn't come up with, what is the word for believe? And he couldn't explain to them, what does it mean to believe? And he couldn't find a word. Well, one day, he's sitting in his tent. He's translating the Bible into their language. And, uh, and one of the, the tribesmen comes in from working and plops down in a chair and kicks his feet up. And the light bulb came on. John Payton says, that's belief. That's belief. What is that? And the same word for belief in their language was the word lean. They were leaning and resting and putting their full weight upon that chair. That's what belief is. Oftentimes, listen, we mistake the fact that we believe in the Word of God from believing on the Word of God. No, listen, believing on the Word of God is not just hearing it, but receiving it and doing it. That's trust. And yet we wonder, why are we having so much shipwreck in our homes? Why are our young people making such shipwreck? It's because they're ignoring the truth. I quoted for you a while ago, Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Now watch this. He sees the evil and then he hides himself. What is he doing? He's responding to it. How often, listen, do we come to the house of God and we hear the word of God preached, the truth preached? It may not be good. I'll give you that. But listen, we still hear truth. And truth, even when it's presented not in the greatest way, is still truth. And how often do we walk out of here hearing the truth but not responding to it. Proverbs 22 says, he foreseeth the evil, he sees the truth of the way things are and hideth himself. But what does it go on to say? The simple pass on and are punished. The simple is the one who also foresees the evil but yet he's unaffected by it. Do you know that's why every person that's in hell this morning is in hell? They heard the truth but refused to be affected by it. Listen, every person that's in hell this morning, at one point in their life, in their existence on this earth, heard the truth of the word of God. God's loving and God's merciful. Listen, they, he did not send them there. They chose to go there by rejecting the truth. They heard it and yet did not respond to it. And how often are we as guilty of that as Christians? We hear the truth, we foresee the evil, and we pass on. And what happens? We are punished. Number one, Living an unanchored life begins with ignorance of the truth or for the truth. But then look down at verse 12. I want to hurry. I want to show you something interesting. I want to show you why we ignore the truth. The Bible says, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. 
Why would somebody ignore the truth? Why would you ignore the truth? Somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know that pill you're about to take? That's not Tylenol. That's arsenic. You're going to die. Why would we ignore the truth? I mean, man, that's trying to save our life. Well, the Bible uses a word we don't use very often in verse 12. The Bible says they decided to pull up their anchor. Instead of remaining anchored safe, they pulled up their anchor because it was not commodious to winter in. Now, I don't know that I've ever used that word outside of the pulpit, but here's what it means. It means comfortable or convenient. The harbor of Fair Havens was not necessarily an ideal port. So here's what they do. They decided, we're not going to anchor there. We're not going to anchor there. This is not the ideal place. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient place to winter in. And so we're going to pull up our anchor and sail away. Watch this. They ignored the truth because it was inconvenient to their comfort. Number two, we'll show you the next step along the way of living in an anchored life. Notice the inconvenience to comfort. The inconvenience to comfort. The reason so many lost are living an unanchored life today and saved also are living an unanchored life, it's simply because it's more convenient not to. Do you know what an anchor does? You ever think about what an anchor does? It holds you down. And it restricts your movement. All right, stick with me here. You drop that anchor, that anchor is going to keep you from going and doing. It's going to confine your floating to one particular area. And the captain says, you know what? If we, we drop anchor here, we're not going to be able to go and do the places we want to go and do. Therefore, we're going to pull up anchor and we're going to keep moving on and doing our own thing. Why? Because we're more interested in what's convenient and comfortable than what we need to do and receive the truth of the direction that they're going. This past week, we dropped off Dr. Sis, decided to look around Chattanooga for a couple of days, and then we saw the storms coming, so we just headed east. And uh, we're going on Hotels.com on our phones. We're trying to pick out which hotels to stay at. And uh, this is one of those things how I know I'm getting old because I want to know how big the rooms were. Did they have a free breakfast? How far were the hotels from the nearest sites? And we picked a hotel in Chattanooga literally across the street from the Tennessee Aquarium and right beside a Ben and Jerry's ice cream shop and across the street from Puckett's restaurant that serves a wonderful, wonderful fried green tomato burger with goat cheese. It was spectacular. I got pictures I'll show you after the service if you want to see them. Do you know what I was shopping for? I wasn't shopping for a hotel room. I was shopping for convenience. Watch this. My direction, which hotel I went to, where I spent my money, it all revolved around convenience. Do you know, I think we act that way spiritually a lot of times. The direction we go, the choices we make, the stands we take or we don't take, where we drop anchor or where we don't drop anchor. Look, it's not about conviction anymore. You know, used to, you stood based on conviction. I stand where I stand because that's what I'm convicted about. And listen, no matter who stands with me as Daniel, listen, he purposed in his heart to serve the Lord. You see, his stand was decided by his conviction, not by his comfort. And yet today, look at the church. We do everything for comfort or convenience. As a matter of fact, we cater our churches today so that everybody will like being there, even if it means throwing out the truth. What did they choose? What did they choose? 
They chose comfort and convenience. What did he say? Look down, verse 12, because the haven was not commodious. He said, listen, this is not a comfortable haven. This is not a place we want to be. It's not convenient to what we want. So we're going to move on. And we see in the church today, we have traded our convictions for convenience and comfort. And then we have the audacity to ask, why has the church become shipwrecked? I'll tell you this, if you're not careful, your comfort will guide the decisions you make more than your convictions will. And there's the church today. Give an example. Think about Peter. When, when they came to arrest Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, and all of a sudden they're about to arrest him, what did Peter do? Man, he pulls out his sword. No, sir. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. You know, I like a good action movie. We're reading the Bible, man. This is awesome. This guy, and he whacks this guy's ear off. I mean, who hasn't wanted to do that before? Some of you are just not being honest. Most of you probably want to cut my ears off, probably both of them, because they're big and they're a distraction. But then just a little while later, somebody comes to Peter and says, weren't you with Christ? Oh, no. Oh, no. I wasn't with him. I don't know what you're talking about. Three times. Hey, weren't you with Christ? No, no, I wasn't with him. Do you know what Peter was doing? It just dawned on me this morning. In the garden and when he denied Christ, he was simply doing what was convenient. Look. It's easy to stand for Christ when you're standing by Christ. I mean, are you really going to let them take Jesus away when he's standing right there? Oh, man, you're going to draw your sword. You're going to put up a fight. You're going to scrap. It was convenient to be defensive of Christ then. But now you look around, where's Christ? Christ is not here. Okay, I'm going to be a chameleon and just blend in with the rest of the people. What happened? Peter was on his way to a shipwreck. Why? Because he was living by his convenience and his comfort rather than by his convictions. We were in the uh, Tennessee Aquarium. Man, they got all these animals there. And we had this one, one room, not a room, it was a glass case. And we're looking, there's all these leaves. And we're trying to figure out what is in there, you know? All these leaves and plants in there. And I'm thinking, it probably died or something, you know? What was in there is not there anymore. And we're looking, we're looking, looking. And I walked on and Molly says, dad, 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 there it is. And I said, where? And she's pointing. I'm in there looking, looking, looking. I can't figure out what is, what is up there. It's like, yeah, it's a beautiful leaf, sweetheart. Yeah. It was a chameleon. One of these big lizards. My wife's like, Ugh. And his eye, have you ever seen their eye? Unbelievable. That thing just rotates around like a machine. God, fearfully and wonderfully made, are chameleons also. And I couldn't see the chameleon because he had blended in with his atmosphere and what was around him. He blended in with the leaves and the trees that were there. It was just amazing. That's why you can't see Christians today. We look out into the jungle of the world, and we keep telling them about how God's changed our life, and man, God can change your life, and God can just make you new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and they look into your aquarium, and you, they can't even spot you in there. You blend in with the world so well. Why? Because that's convenient. You're afraid to drop anchor. I'm not going to drop an anchor there and take a stand there. Why? Because that's not convenient. What are people going to say about me if I act different, talk different, dress different? Hey, what are people going to think about me? You see, it's about comfort and convenience. It's not about conviction anymore. That's why the church is shipwrecked. We've lost our power. Why? Because it's not commodious for us to have convictions anymore. I don't have time to read it, but when you get home, read Romans chapter 1 and look down at what the people did. The Bible says when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. That means they knew the truth, they knew God for who he was, but it wasn't convenient for them. Here's what they did. Rather than they change, the Bible says they changed him. 
Why do you think there's so many Bible verses today? We're having to change God to be more commodious to us. I hate to tell you this, but you're going to be surprised one day because he's not changing at all. I believe we reached a point to where we're going to have to decide whether we're going to live by our convictions or whether we're going to live by convenience. But let me give you a challenge before I give you the third thing. Amos 6.1, the Bible says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Be careful getting too comfortable in this world. Be careful getting in the habit of blending in with this world. I honestly believe this. I heard preachers say this before, and I usually didn't believe it, but I believe them now. I think some people are going to feel, feel out of place in heaven. They really are. Why? Because they didn't get any practice in down here, all right? Right now, listen, we're, we're, we're trying to fit in with this world, and you fit in with this one. You're not going to fit in well with that one. Look, I'm not saying you're losing your salvation, but folks, listen. We should strive to be more like Christ. And when they see Christ in us, they have a desire to have what we have. But all we have to offer them is just a cheap knockoff of what they already have. No wonder they don't want what the church is offering. The Bible tells us in Revelation about the church that will greet the second coming of our Lord. The church of Laodicea. That church age, if you will, and the mindset is this. They are rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. You know what they are? They're comfortable. They're comfortable. We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. Listen, God, we're good. We have everything we need, and we don't even need God anymore. Why? We've gotten to the place where we are living by, in, by convenience and on our way to shipwreck. Quickly, look down at verse 11 and 12 one more time. Paul gives them his counsel. He gives them the truth, but they ignored the truth. Why? Because it was inconvenient. They wanted to go down to another place. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter, watch this, the more part advised to depart thence also. I want you to notice how they came to this conclusion to live unanchored, to pull up their anchor and to get out there in the open sea, which would bring destruction to them. The Bible says they listened to the more part. You see, they rejected the truth because it was inconvenient but also, number three, because of the influence of others. The Bible says they listen to the more part. The more part. Do you know the greatest influence in our lives that motivates us to live an unanchored life that's going to lead to destruction is the influence of others. It's the influence of others. Most of us, look, we look around and we decide how to live our life. There was a study done years ago by a psychologist, true story. She put three lines on a chalkboard of different links. One here, one here, one here. She's going to bring ten kids in the classroom, but she had a talk with nine of them first and says, look, when I ask you to point to the longest line, I want you to pick to the second longest line. And they didn't tell the other guy. You know, Brother Nate, that other guy would have been me, guaranteed. That would have been me. I would have been the guy. So they come in, and she says, okay, I have three lines on the board. Pick which one is the longest. And when she pointed to the longest one, he raised his hand, but nobody else did. When they pointed to the second longest one, the other nine raised their hand. Immediately, he put his hand up with them. The study said 75-plus percent of the time, the one person would put their hand down and raise it with the group. That was teenagers, adults alike. You know, Mom and Dad, we talk about peer pressure with our kids. We're just as susceptible to it. 
know what we do? We look around and then we decide how to live our life. You know what we're doing? And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to the part. We're listening to the more part. The more part. Hey, what is everybody else doing? What is everybody else saying? What is everybody else wearing? What is everybody else watching? What is everybody else listening to? All right? I want to make sure I'm with the more part. Why? Because we want to blend in. Why? Because that's more convenient. But be careful listening to the more part because the more part was wrong. Be careful. You know, when we were kids, what did our parents used to tell us? If everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? Some of my friends would have. They'd jump right off a cliff with them. And yet today, we're spiritually jumping off cliffs. That's what we're doing. Why? Because we want to be with the more part. Matter of fact, look at verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. It amazes me sometimes as a pastor how often we as Christians are guilty not to listen to the counsel of the word of God. And yet, man, what Oprah says is truth. Dr. Phil, man, got it figured out. How's that working for you? Got it figured out. That preacher up there, he's nuts, man. He's talking about how we're supposed to live a different life, holy, separated unto God. Good night. What ark did he get off of? Two days ago, the one in Kentucky, I got off of it. But anyway, that guy's nuts. Separated life, changed life, holy life, different life, higher standard. Yeah. Where do you get that from? I got it from the Bible, all right? I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff. That's where I got it from. You're like, that guy's nuts up there. But man, did you hear what Oprah said? Dr. Phil, man, Joel Osteen, good night. Living my best life now. I'm living my best life later, all right? I'm going to get through this one. I'm going to be like Paul. It may cost me my life, but I'm going to live my best one later. Why? Because I've received and accepted the truth. Now, folks, be careful this morning of the influence of others. 1 Samuel 15 Saul was supposed to go in and destroy the Amalekites. We know the story, and I've got to hurry. But we know that instead of destroying everything, that he kept the king and kept some of the choice merchandise that was there and the lambs. And here comes the preacher. The preacher always shows up at the most inopportune times, doesn't he? Trust me, I know. It's embarrassing for me just as much as it is for you, I assure you. I saw what was in your buggy. No, just kidding. Samuel says... I hear these sheep. I hear these sheep. I thought you were supposed to destroy everything, but I hear these sheep, and old Saul, he pours it on, he pours it on thick. Oh, I know, but look, we kept the best just for God. I've got to read this for you. I'm going to read it for you. 1 Samuel 15, listen close. Listen what Saul's excuse was in verse 15. And Saul says, listen close, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Notice the word they. Adam and Eve, that woman you gave me, they. Verse 21, but the people took of the spoil. Saul's like, it's just them people. Keep reading verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Can I tell you what we've got a bad case of in the church today? A fear of the people. We're afraid what the people are going to say. We live in a cancel culture. Don't you dare do anything that somebody else doesn't like. That's kind of hard. It only applies to Christians, by the way. 
We live in this cancel culture where if you do something I don't like, I cancel you, I blackball you, your, your life is over. I, I even watch it on ESPN. Somebody gets offended immediately. Well, all of a sudden we come out. We've got to change this. We've got to change this. We've got to change this. Why? Because we fear getting crucified in the court of public opinion. That's a fact. We don't want somebody in the world to think that, hey, we're not of them. Yes, we do. Yes. That's what your witness is all about. Look, if, look, if you're bald-headed and you show up in here next Sunday with a head full of hair, I want to talk to you. It's getting worse. I thought if I grew hair on my face, maybe it would stimulate my head. Didn't work. I just shaved it off. I thought my, you know, my face would be a good example to my head. No, it didn't help at all. It didn't, it didn't learn. I'm hard-headed. You walk in here, and you got a head full of hair next week. I want to talk to you, man. Look, I'm bringing my credit card. I'm willing to buy it. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it within reason. Why? Because you've proven that what you have is better than what everybody else has told me works and hasn't worked yet. You've proven it. Something different. Can I tell you, folks? The others usually get it wrong. That's why God's called us to be different. We're supposed to be influencing them, not them influencing us. I read a story about a spider who built a beautiful web. Every time a fly would land in her web, she'd go down there and you know, wrap him up, get him out of there to hide him from all the other flies that would come through there. You know, it's not good advertisement to have dead bodies hanging around, so she'd get them out of there. She kept it real clean, and one day this wise fly comes along, and he lands upon the limb looking down at the nest, and the spider says, why don't you come down and sit, and we'll talk a while. He says, oh, no. Oh, no, you're not going to get me. I'm not coming down there. I know what that is, and I'm staying away. He looked down, and he saw there below the spider web, there was a brown piece of tape, kind of a paper there, and all of these flies were on it, and they were dancing. He says, I'm not going to come over and sit with you. I'm going down there to dance with them. Because in your web, I don't, look, I don't see anything in your web, but down there, there's a whole group of them down there, and they're dancing. And he flew down, and he got stuck in the fly paper. By the way, they weren't dancing. Some of you are going to ask your spouse on the way home from church, why were the flies dancing? They weren't dancing. He looked down there and saw that big group of flies and said, man, it looks like they're having a good time. And he flew down there. We're thinking, what a dumb fly. Guilty. Guilty. How often do we see the crowd and, man, they look like they're having a great time. They're not having a great time. They're dead in their trespasses and sins, and God saved you out of that. Why should we want to go back to that? Matter of fact, we could be an example to what God's done for us in setting us free if we just lived a holy and separated life righteously before God. Number three, the influence of others. I hate to tell you this, majority of homes are going to end in divorce. Fact. The majority of homes will end in divorce. Why do you want to be a part of the majority? The majority of young people will do nothing for God. Why do you want to be one of the majority? Why do our young people crave to be like the world? That breaks my heart more than anything when you watch our young people and you tell the pull of the world and it will tell you, those young people are going to do nothing for God. That's why I don't want our young people to be part of the majority. I don't want to be different. Majority of Christians will not hear well done. Why do you want to be part of the majority? Finally, I'll give you the last thing and let you go. Verse 12 says this. Because that haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phinis or Phoenix, if you look it up. Now, here's what they decided to do. Watch close. They're on the southeastern side of Crete in the Fair Havens. Here's what they said. 
you know what? We're going to pull up anchor. We're not going to anchor here because it's not a comfortable place, but we're not going to go far. We're just going to go down a little ways to Phoenix, and then we'll anchor there, and everything's going to be okay. But here's the sad thing. They never made it. They pulled up from what was safe, what was sure. They said, you know what? I'm not going to go far. We're just going to go down to Phoenix, 40 miles away. And they never made it. Got out in that storm. I want to show you the last part of living in an anchored life in its increments at a time. Increments at a time. The church has made a bad mistake over the past 50, 60 years. We've decided, you know what? We're going to pull up our anchor from what is sure, what is solid, what is safe, and what has worked. And we're just going to go a little ways. We're just going to go a little ways. And the church, usually, that pulls up its anchor and leaves behind the fair havens never makes it to Phoenix. Gets swept out to sea. You know what? We're just going to add a little bit of this, take a little bit of this away. We're just not going to, we're going to pull up this anchor. I know this is an anchor we've had for a long time, but let's pull up this anchor and go to a better anchor. And most of the time, those churches never make it back. They never get back to the place of what's sure and solid and safe and secure for their families. They lose it. How many churches used to be Bible-preaching churches that stood upon the doctrines of the Word of God, not the feelings of a lost world? And we pulled up our anchor because you know what? That's a more comfortable port. Man, Phoenix, look, Fair Havens, that's old, that's boring, that's tired. Why don't we go to Phoenix? Phoenix over here, that's a fun port. That's where everybody wants to go. And we pull up our anchor and we never make it there. How did it happen? We've lost our churches in America incrementally. Let's just take a little trip to Phoenix. Brother Nate preached a wonderful message of the night on the wall, Proverbs 24. And what did the Bible say? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come. Little by little by little. Can I tell you how you're going to lose your home? I think it's going to tell you something Dr. Phil won't tell you. You're going to lose your home a little bit at a time. You're going to pull up anchor. You're going to decide, you know what? This is not popular anymore to raise our kids this way. It's not popular to be in a church like this. this is, you know what? I'm going to pull up from Fair Havens, but we're just going to go right down the road to Phoenix because Phoenix is a more comfortable harbor. You're not going to make it. You're going to lose your home a little bit at a time. Do you know how you lose your heart? The devil doesn't come in and steal your heart all at one time. He steals it just a little bit at a time. Little by little. What does the Bible say? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. What does the Bible go on to say? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Notice the steps. It was a little at a time. Now, folks, I am unashamedly conservative. You know that. Look, I don't beat nobody over the head with it. I don't want to brag about it. Let me tell you why I have some of the stands I have and why I'm anchored in the places that I'm anchored. Because I've watched too many of my buddies pull up their anchor just to go a little ways to Phoenix and get carried out to sea. Not even preaching the Bible anymore. And you know what? Phoenix may not be the, the vacation spot of being a good Baptist, but it's a safe haven, it's a fair haven. So many that have pulled up have never made it and carried out to sea. I could name you church after church after church after church. You know what? I just don't want to shipwreck. 
just want to stay in fair havens, a safe, secure harbor. It may not be the flashiest in the world, but you know what? I've got a daughter on board this ship. I've got a wife on board this ship. I've got church members on board this ship. There was 276 men on board of that ship, and that captain put all of their lives at risk for a little more comfort and a little more convenience. He chose to live an unanchored life. You know why so many of us are being beaten, battered, and broken during the last 14 months? It's because we've pulled up our anchors for what is sure and what is certain, and we've sailed out into the world, and now we're paying a price for it. Folks, I want you to understand something. If we don't put down some anchors quick, we're in trouble. If we don't put down some anchors quick, you can't live wild and free and just go where the wind blows. No, you better put down some anchors. It's not going to be comfortable always. It's not going to be convenient always. But I tell you what, it's a lot safer than getting out there into the open waters of the world. And what did I tell you a moment ago? Hebrews chapter 6, the Bible says we have a hope that's an anchor for the soul. You know what? I'm not going to need an anchor when I get to heaven. There's no storms up there. Do you know what the anchor's for? It's for this life. This life. Can I ask you this morning, are you anchored? Do you have that anchor? When the winds blow and the storms rise and the waves crash into your life and your home, do you have that anchor? What does the song say? In times like these, you need an anchor. You need an anchor. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning you may be drifting like a ship without a sail as the song says. The winds have been blowing and you've been beaten and you've been battered. Can I tell you there's somewhere safe that you can anchor and it's in Christ and that anchor is an anchor for the soul that's in this life. He'll hold on to you when you can't hold on to yourself. If you're here this morning you've never trusted Christ, there's an anchor just for you. And he'll hold you when you can't hold yourself. And if you're saved here this morning, folks, it's time we dropped our anchors again. We've pulled up our anchors and we're drifting wildly. That's why we're headed towards shipwreck with our homes and with our children. It's time to drop anchors again. It may not be popular. It may not be comfortable. It may not be convenient. But you know what? It's safe. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stop there this morning. Let's stand to our feet. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.